When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, I'm Meg Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Hello and welcome back, Awesomes. You are listening to the show that is all about helping you be smart, strong, and social. We're in your earbuds every single week with all the awesome that you need to know. And you can also always find us over on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show or on Facebook in our Sorta Awesome Hangout group. This is episode 118 of the show. And how about we kick things off with a thank you to our listener supporters. Your $5 a month makes a big difference in keeping this show going. And so if our show, if our recommendations, our community, if that has added to your life, we would really love for you to consider supporting us by going to sortaawesomeshow.com slash support. So all of you awesomes who support Sorta Awesome have access to our special episodes that we don't want just anyone hearing. In fact, this past week, Rebecca and I released a new exclusive episode to our listener supporters. And oh my goodness, my face was blushing with some of the things that we talked about. So when you become a supporter, you get access to all of those private episodes, as well as our exclusive Facebook group that we created just for our super awesome supporters. All of that information is over at sortaawesomeshow.com slash support. So yes, this is episode 118, and today I am joined by my dear friend and oh-so-lovely co-host, Kelly Gordon. Today we are here to uncover and talk about a true crisis that is affecting so many of us in our culture today, no matter what your age or your gender, your occupation might be, and most of us are not even aware of how deeply our whole lives and our well-being is being impacted by what we're not getting enough of. I'm just going to let you think about that for a few minutes while we go ahead and share our awesomes of the week. So first, let's go ahead and start out the way we always do with our awesomes of the week, the moment in the show where we share all of the books, the TV shows, the podcasts, the music, whatever it is that's making our lives a little bit more awesome this week. Kelly, hello, and I can't wait to hear. I don't even know what your awesome of the week is, so I can't wait to hear all about it. Well, the one thing you neglected to put on that list of awesome things, Meg, is my favorite thing, which is food. So I'm going to bring a recipe awesome to the awesome community this time. And you know, you talk about the thing that we need more of here in the fall. Maybe it's sugar. Just saying. Mm-hmm. Just saying. This yep. is the time of year, you know, and really awesome. I feel bad for sharing this recipe right now. In some ways, it is the perfect fall recipe. But at the same time, we all know that we are staring down the gauntlet of holidays when we're going to be facing sugar temptations at every turn. So I feel like October should be a month where we prepare and eat nothing but kale and smoothies and gluten free pancakes and things like that. Like just not things that are sugar-filled, because we should be preparing ourselves. But I'm not helping you here today, because I'm going to give you a recipe for a cookie that screams fall. Here's the name. Chewy salted caramel oatmeal cookies. Mm, I can get on board with this. Okay. (laughs) Yep. So let's just go ahead and say they are healthy because they have whole grain oats, right? Yeah, they're just basically health food. They are. It's basically oatmeal in your hand in a portable form. (laughs) 
with like like a lot of sugar. But yes. So these are oatmeal cookies, you guys. There's nothing really new about them. But here's the thing that makes them from oatmeal to spectacular. You may have seen this in the baking aisle if you're a baker. If not, you may not even know this exists. I did not. It is something that Kraft has started making and they're called caramel bits. Okay, so these are like chocolate chips, but instead of being a little chip, they're like little round balls of hard caramel. So some people have said they just buy them and melt them so that you can like dip apple slices, something like that. You could probably even do it like a little fondue. But what this recipe calls is that you add them into your oatmeal cookie batter dough, just like little balls of caramel, and then they melt. So a couple of things that you need to know, of course, we'll put the full recipe in the show notes. The cookie is just like any other cookie. You know, you're creaming butter. It's got both white and brown sugar, eggs and all this stuff, right? The big thing that you need to know is at the very end, after you add these caramel bits, you need to make sure you have parchment paper for this recipe because that caramel is going to stick. If you don't have something that can pop those cookies right off of the sheet, once you get them out of the oven, it's just going to be a disaster and you're not going to be able to eat them. So you're going to make the cookies, you're going to scoop them out onto parchment paper on your baking sheet and bake them. You also want to make sure, and I'm really bad at this, you guys, true confession, pull them out before they look totally done. It makes a huge difference. It does make a huge difference. And I don't like crispy cookies. And I don't really like cookies because of that, because I think I always overcook mine just a little bit. So they're not chewy. Of course, oatmeal cookies should be chewy. They shouldn't be brittle. So you're going to pull these out right when they're just barely looking set in the middle. And then as soon as you pull them out while they are setting up just a little bit, you're going to sprinkle on some sort of a flaky salt. If you have kosher salt, that's perfect. You're just going to sprinkle it on top. If you want to be more fancy or you have some, you know, pink Himalayan salt in the back of your cupboard, go for that too. But that salt on top of the cookies is the key to taking this from, wow, this is a really good dreamy caramel oatmeal cookie to that saltedness, cutting the sweet, amazing. And frankly, very addicting. Like I said, I'm not doing you any favors here. They're so good. And because they've got both that salty and that sweet, Mm, I mean, yes. These are great after school. These are great with a cup of tea in the afternoon. I can't say that I haven't had one at breakfast with my coffee. (laughs) I've only made them once, you guys, because they're so good and they're really, really hard for me to resist. And then I was just like, this is is not a healthy thing for me. (laughs) But I am going to make them again. So sometime this fall, sometime this fall, my kids will like them again. I do have one kid who didn't really like the salt. So I suppose you could always ask. He really loves caramel. So he was like, eh, the salt kind of ruins it for me. But I think for most grownups, this is a great cookie. So again, we'll put the full recipe for the chewy salted caramel oatmeal cookies in the show notes. I highly recommend them. And if you have other tips for these little caramel bits that you can find, in most grocery stores at this point, I would love to hear them because I think they're kind of a revelation. It sounds like it. Just the title alone, the name of the recipe is kind of a mouthful. So when that's the case, you know that that recipe is going to be pretty stellar. Right. There's a lot of goodness packed in there. So what do you got for us? What's your awesome? Mine is the opposite of appetizing. So (laughs) I need everybody to just like push pause on your warm, chewy cookie thoughts, because I need to tell you that my awesome of the week this week, and it has been for several weeks now, is that I have been rubbing snail mucus. Yes, let that sink in for a minute. Snail mucus on my face. And I love it. (laughs) I really have no words right now. Yeah, you're a little speechless. I can tell. Go on. I'm going to need you to walk me through this. Yeah. So here's what we're talking about. Talking about skincare products. You maybe have seen them on the aisles of your local Target, CVS, Definitely at Sephora and Ulta, stores like that, because this 
trend of incorporating snail mucus or snail mucin, also called snail secretion filtrate. No, no, that's not how you market a product. (laughs) It has been a big trend for a while, really, for years in Asian beauty care, Mm -hmm. especially in Korean skincare. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Korean skincare regimes. In fact, I very first heard about it in Charlotte Cho's book, The Little Book of Skincare, which really does a deep dive on all kinds of Korean skincare products and the 10-step Korean skincare routines. So that's where I first heard about it. Daisy and I read that book together and we decided a couple of months ago that we would try some of this out. So we've been using, now Daisy does it, she does, she has gorgeous, beautiful, almost 13-year-old skin. She doesn't need the snail products the same way that her mother (laughs) needs the snail products because snail mucus has hyaluronic acid, glycoproteins, proteoglycans, <laughs> all kinds of good stuff. Yeah. I'm just going to skip the rest of it. It's a list of really great things that are super beneficial for your skin. It's also really known for its anti-aging properties. It kind of helps your skin to create more collagen, which as we age, our collagen production decreases. It can protect your skin from free radicals. It can smooth out wrinkles. It also can be used on a lot of other skin conditions like acne, rosacea, age spots, supposedly, and I haven't tried it for this, but supposedly it can help to ease or reduce the appearance of stretch marks and scars. So it's kind of a miracle product in the skincare community. So I've been trying it. I've mostly been focusing it on my forehead and on my neck. I feel like those are two areas where I need some extra help and support in the anti-aging region. And I know anti-aging suddenly has become this almost like feminist issue. There's pushback, like let's just agree that women can age gracefully, which I totally believe in. I also think we should all do what makes us happy when it comes to our... Right. Skincare regime. Right. So we've been talking about some of these products in the sort of awesome hangout group. The one that I started that I love the most, I've used a couple of different kinds now that have the snail mucin in it. I've tried a skin essence, an ampule, and a couple of moisturizing creams. I really, really love one of the skin creams from Misha. It's called the Super Aqua Cell Renew. It has the snail mucin in it. One thing that I want to assure you about, at least about the moisturizing creams, is that the texture is just like using a moisturizer. You would not right. know. It's not mucusy. Yeah, it's not mucusy in the skin creams. It smells good, smells fine. Most of them smell totally neutral, and you just put it on the way you put on any moisturizer. I have tried a skin essence, which is it has a little bit tackier texture to it, and I liked that one okay. I also have to tell you all that I did try the Snail Repair Intensive Ampule from Mizon, which is a big brand of Korean skincare products. I did not like the ampule because it is very mucusy. Now, ampules in general, the texture of those, it's like a serum. So that's going to be kind of the same texture that you're going to get. That I'm sure that it's an intensive repair ampule, so I'm sure that it actually does do a world of difference for your skin. I just don't like the texture at all. I have not been using that one as much. But the moisturizing creams have been a revelation. I don't know that my forehead wrinkles are going to go completely away without any kind of more high-intensity intervention. Yeah. (laughs) Botox or, you know, a little trip to the, what's it called? Plastic Plastic surgeon. surgeon. Yes. Skincare doctor who fixes big things. Right, exactly, exactly. So anyway, I have really enjoyed just the feeling. It really does make a difference in the texture of your skin. I can feel 
that my forehead especially feels softer to the touch and I can tell the difference. And I hope that as I'm using it on my neck to combat these wrinkles I have from looking down at my phone, you know, (laughs) as Laura has pointed out for us, I think it's making a difference there too. And it's just making me so happy that something as unattractive as snail mucus can be used in such a wonderful way for our skin. Right. Well, that's really cool. I think it's like you said, you take something that you learn from somebody else, but you find a method that you can use it. And I'm not even familiar with the term ampule. So I think even that. So just saying, hey, look for this ingredient yes. in these moisturizers. Yeah. yeah, I found a lot of mine on Amazon. But like I said, you can even find, I think the Misha line is at Target. You can easily find them in stores now because it's really caught up into the U.S. mainstream. So... All right. Well, those are our Awesomes of the Week. As you know, every single Friday, we love to hear your Awesomes of the Week over in our Sorta Awesome Hangout group. So you can find us over there by searching Sorta Awesome Hangout on Facebook. Okay, Kelly. So we are here to talk this week and really dig in and discuss a hidden crisis in America that many of us are affected by. And most of us don't even know that this is something that is creating such a drain on our whole entire health and well-being. It really comes down to a matter of whether or not we are getting enough sleep. And I think that as you and I have talked about, after we recently released a exclusive episode for our Patreon supporters, our listener supporters, that dealt with this topic, a discussion that you and Laura had about it, the response that we got from the awesomes was huge. And it really confirmed what we had been suspecting. Like, there are so many people that don't even realize that some of the chronic problems that they're having that are showing up in their daytime life are being directly affected by what's happening or not happening at nighttime. So I know you have a lot of big feelings about this. And we both even have our own stories of how this has cropped up in our lives. Right. Absolutely. I think that one of the things that I really felt strongly after we released that Patreon episode. And of course, the people who are reacting, I mean, this is our inner circle, right? So these are the people who are going to respond a lot and tell us what they're thinking. But it was just so overwhelming to hear the stories of people saying, wow, this isn't something that I didn't know. It's not brand new information, but it came at me in a way that... I just needed to hear. So we really wanted to bring it to the total larger awesome community. So if you didn't get to hear that episode because you're not a Patreon member, and of course you can be, but I'm going to tell you guys my story that really led me to realize this in a way that was personal in my own life. So I think like most women in America, we tend to get through high school and college thinking that we need very little sleep. And maybe we don't in the sense that we can kind of push through. You sleep erratically, you have a very different sort of a schedule, you don't really have much of a routine possibly, because things are always changing. So it really wasn't until I was an adult and I started to work an overnight shift. So I worked overnights for a short time when we moved in Phoenix, and then for about two solid years when we lived in San Diego. So if you are not familiar with my story, I used to be a TV news producer. So I was working for NBC at the time in San Diego, and so I would go to work anywhere from 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. and work to produce the morning news, you know, that comes on. So, you know, leave work around, I don't know, between 7 and 9 or 10 o'clock, depending on exactly what I was doing that day. So I did that, again, for two years with the hope that every time I would go home and sleep during the day, and then on the weekends, I would try to go back to normal people hours because I had a husband who didn't work crazy hours, and I wanted to see him, and I wanted to see my friends. So... What I found was that I slept very little. I thought that light wasn't that big of a deal. You know, you just sleep during the day, right? 
shouldn't be that big of a deal. It was a big deal. Even with blackout curtains and all I could do, of course, Southern California is very, very Mm -hmm. sunny. I couldn't ever get it dark enough for my body to kick in with its circadian rhythms and really be like, and now we're going to go to sleep. It was always like, I'm going to try to force myself to sleep here. So I never probably got much more than four or five hours. Like that was good sleep if I could get that during the day. And then I would, you know, go to sleep around noon, wake up around five. My husband was coming home. I'd have evening with him and then I'd go to work. What happened was that I got so chronically sleep deprived was that I started to kind of lose my mm-hmm. mind. <laughs> yes. And I say this laughing because in hindsight, there were times that were almost funny, but they weren't right. funny at the time. People living with me, <laughs> aka Corey, and my friends who were you know close to me, watched me melt down mm. small things. I would cry. It was very emotional and moody. You know, just things that would normally be not that big of a deal you'd be able to handle would send me off. And so it culminated in this. I was driving to work one night and I was so tired. I'm guessing it was probably, you know, 1130. And all I wanted to do was go to bed, but I was going to work. So I was driving my car not too far from my house to the TV station. And of course, Southern California is very hilly. There's canyons. There's lots of places where there was a thought in my brain that came to me that said, if you just joggle the steering wheel right now, you could crash your car and go to the hospital and right. sleep. Yeah, that's a bad place to be. That's a bad place. And there was a part of my brain that recognized how crazy that is. You know, like, whoa. But there was another part of my brain, a large part of my brain, that thought that was a totally reasonable, wonderful sounding little slice of nirvana to crash your car and not have to go to work and just be able to sleep for days in the hospital without guilt. So that was really because there was enough of my brain that was rational still. I was able then to go to my boss (laughs) the next day and say, whoa, I got to get off this shift. I've got to go back to sleeping when it's dark, when my body wants to sleep and being awake during the day. And they were very accommodating and they saw my need and they moved me to a five o'clock shift. Shortly after that, they moved me to an 11 o'clock to produce the 11 o'clock news. And here's where the story flips full circle was that when I was working the 11 o'clock news, so now I'm on a different shift. I'm on like a second shift for anybody who works those sort of hours. If you work in a rescue industry or at a hospital or at a factory, I would go to work at 2 p.m., 2.30 p.m. and, you know, leave work at 11.30 or midnight. And for the first time then, I had this opportunity where because my day didn't start with work, I didn't wake up and go to work. I just woke up and had my free time. So, you know, doing whatever I was going to do. I didn't set my alarm. I just was like, well, I'll go to bed and then I'll just wake up whenever I want to wake up. It doesn't matter. I don't have to get up. It was kind of like being on a weekend, right? you know, where we go, I don't have to, I don't have to get up for anything. And so what happened was I started to sleep regularly, nine to 10 hours, you know, at night, which surprised the heck out of me. I did not think I needed that much sleep, but it turns out I did probably partly because of the sleep deficit. But what happened was having that change within a year going from being chronically sleep deprived to actually being rested probably for the first time in my adult life, the change in how I felt, the change in my emotional stability, the change in everything, my outlook was so dramatic that I was left jaw dropped a little bit. Like I did not know how tired I was. I was too tired to know how tired I was. I thought that was normal. And so ever since, I mean, that was a long time ago, I have been on a little bit of a personal mission to make sure, at least in my own life, that sleep is a priority, even though it's so basic, even though it's just one of those things we all know about. But it's become kind of a passion because I recognized, I felt it in my own body 
the difference that really good sleep can make. I mean, do you have any stories like that? I think so many people, when they look back, they do see a moment when they're like, ah. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, my first experience with truly being sleep deprived came at a time when a lot of people, moms and dads will recognize was when we had our oldest daughter. And your body just kind of goes into like a bit of a shock every how little sleep you're getting. <laughs> and it just went on and on. Daisy was a very fitful sleeper early on. Now she could sleep until, you know, <laughs> sleep 12 hours a night. No problem. She's going through those teenage sleep changes again. But as a newborn, she and I were up a lot at night and I had a similar situation to yours. I think I've told this a few different times as we've talked about either sleep or postpartum depression type things on the show of having that moment where I had like just a near miss accident as I was driving away, just thinking that same thing, like you were thinking like, I mean, I'm glad I wasn't in a car accident, but if I would have been, I could at least go to the hospital and sleep. So that totally resonates for me. That's such a huge indicator like, oh, wow, there's something really big going on here. I revisited that, of course, when the twins were born, having two infants was that was a ton of sleep deprivation. But I'm going to tell you all, this sounds so stupid. I'm just going to be 100% honest about another time when I got really sleep deprived. And I didn't realize how bad it had gotten until some people outside of my life were like, what? What's going on? This past spring when we got our puppy, she's sleeping on our bed next to me right now. She has very severe separation anxiety. Even, I mean, it's better now that she's like seven months old. But when she was a new puppy, she attached to me immediately. And we were trying to get her set up to sleep in her crate bed downstairs. We sleep upstairs and she would just lose complete everything. (laughs) Just lose it when I would go upstairs at night. And so I ended up blowing up an airbed and sleeping downstairs with her for like three weeks after we got her. And because I was down there, she kind of never fell into a really restful sleep. She would wake up and pant and bark and yip until I got up and took her out. Anyway, long, stupid story short, this went on and on and on. I was partially like, I can't leave her down here because if she's barked, she's going to wake the kids up. And then I'm really going to have some problems, right? Because (laughs) once you get to the stage where all of your children are sleeping all the way through the night, you're like desperate to protect the sleep space. So I had convinced myself after about a week, I convinced myself in my mind that like I had to sleep down there with her. Kyle was very accommodating about it. He also didn't want the kids waking up at night. But it wasn't until, so we got her at the end of May. The middle of June was my 40th birthday. Some friends of mine took me out for a surprise birthday dinner. We were talking, 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 and the topic of the dog came up. And I mentioned that I was still sleeping downstairs with the dog. And several of my friends looked at me and were like, what? How long have you been doing this? When was the last time you slept in your own bed? And I was like, I mean, I guess it's been about two or three weeks now. <laughs> Everybody was just like, what's going on? I didn't even realize, but I had also gotten to that point of crying about everything. When I get sleep deprived, now I know my first like sort of symptom that things are not in a good place with sleep is every little thing feels like a huge thing. I can blow things completely out of proportion so that even the smallest of inconveniences or annoyances just feels like the entire world is crashing down around me. So even in situations, I mean, yours was work-related. People bring home new babies. People struggle with insomnia. They're up at night with worries and anxieties. Or sometimes you just get a stupid dog. (laughs) 
(laughs) (laughs) And before you know it, you found yourself back in that sleep deprivation cycle. So I know these are our stories. I'm sure you all have stories. Laura even shared a little bit of her story. Well, she shared actually pretty in depth her story on the episode that was for our listener supporters. We will save that part for our supporters. We do want to play this little clip from Laura talking about something that she realized in hindsight once she became really super aware of the fact that she was really suffering from sleep deprivation. It's funny that you said that about irrational thoughts because I had something similar, not that I wanted to crash my car in order to rest, but (laughs) I would get really uh, irrational ideas that I thought sounded good, similar. So I would be like, okay, we have to move. We cannot live here anymore. Like (laughs) we have to move like big life changes that I would want to make or these big things. And they, I could almost like justify them in a way, except thank goodness I had to partner to be like, no, we're not going to (laughs) move. Right. But I really think my deep self-conscious part of me was saying something has to change. We we have to change something really, really Mm -hmm. big, you know? And, and so I would just try to find that and whatever it was, oh, I need to start a new project. I need to move. I need to do all these things. Something, something's got to change instead of like, again, the most obvious things. And I see moms and I know your story has nothing to do with you being a mother, but mine does. So I I tie that a mm-hmm. lot into how I think about it. But I see moms who I don't I don't like the word blame, but like who are who are seeing some of their irrational behaviors and maybe they do see it or they can see that they're impatient with their kids or they can see that something is not ideal <laughs> about their scenario. <laughs> like really really not ideal. And Everybody's so quick to look for, like you were saying, the quick fixes. Like, it drives me nuts that screen time, like you being on your phone too much, is often the blame for any myriad of ailments that we have. Um, Yeah, I kind of share that little pet peeve. It's just like the thing right now that everybody wants to point to is yes. being, well, that has to be the culprit. Our our phones are causing us all of our angst and depression and hormone swings and eye problems and and bad parenting <laughs> and like all of the things that has to do with and our neck strengths. wrinkles, neck wrinkles. Okay, listen, the <laughs> neck wrinkle thing is real. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm just saying. Um. <laughs> And sometimes I just want to say, look, yes, maybe maybe you are on your phone too much and you're feeling convicted by that or whatever, but also let's just look to our health. It's like people who really struggle with, I don't know, their their body image or whatever, and they just want a quick fix. They have to go completely extreme instead of being like, or we could just do some basics like protein and fruits and vegetables. <laughs> well, that doesn't right. sound very right. fun. Right. And it doesn't sound fun. I think that's the funny thing that both Laura and I were recognizing in that conversation is that sleep is so basic that sometimes I think, and that's why I wanted to do this show, is that we overlook it. It's just so foundational and it sounds so, well, duh, everybody should know this. Mm, Yes. And we should, but we don't practice it very well as Americans. We don't prioritize sleep. We don't think about how it really does change how we feel and how we react to decisions and all these things. You know, when you were saying, this is how I have learned I act 
when I am sleep deprived. You know, just like Laura was saying, I was not thinking rationally. We need to learn our own, and I'm sure it's different for everybody to some degree, what our own triggers are, what we say, hey, oh, I'm crying at everything, or I'm mad at everything my husband says, or I am so impatient with my kids like about every little thing. What's going on? One of our first thoughts should be, am I sleeping? Mm, Yes, I know. It seems so boring and like not glamorous at all, or not even very interesting as a solution. But yes, it should be the first thing on our checklist. Right. So here's what I would like to do. I just kind of want to remind all of our awesomes of the mechanics of sleep, not necessarily like the sleep cycle, but some of the things that science has told us about sleep. And some of this really even might be new. You know, really, the science of sleep has only been studied for the last 100 years or so, even though it goes back to the very beginning of mankind, you know, this idea that we need sleep and that it helps us function. But what we have found is this, that sleep is not a luxury. And I think especially in the West, we tend to view some of these things that are really basic, like, well, yeah, that's a luxury, but I can push forward. I can drink Red Bull. I can do all these things that I don't have to succumb to the basic things that my body requires. And what we are finding is that it isn't a luxury. It isn't just unproductive time. My INTJ husband will often say sleep is such a waste. <laughs> yes. It's such it's, a waste yeah, of time, so you know, because of how his brain looks at it. But it isn't just for resting your body or for making you feel more alert. It really does involve your brain. Science is discovering it. It's like memory consolidation. You know, it takes all those thoughts and feelings that you have throughout the day and puts them into storage in ways that make sense. Um, it even cleans out waste that accumulates in our brain During our waking hours, we're just learning about there's so much neurology and stuff like that that I can geek out over. It's very interesting. But that's something that happens while we sleep. If we don't sleep, that waste just builds up and it causes all sorts of problems. Of course, our other bodily systems recharge when we sleep. It's like a biological battery. We're not just on our bed doing nothing. We are working. It's not passive. Right. Sleep is an active process, really, that helps us perform at our best when we're not sleeping. It's a very active thing. It's not something that we just have to go and not move for a little while. It really is active. We're finding that. So here, what happens when we don't prioritize sleep, right? Most Americans, this is just study after study, are chronically sleep deprived. And I would even venture to say most Westerners, because we have artificial lights, which could be like its own show, really. Mm-hmm. When the artificial lights came onto the scene 150 years ago, like what that started to do, it allowed us to work longer. And of course, in the West, we prize productivity. So we could work more hours because we could stay up later and then we stopped sleeping. And so now we just live in this state and we don't even know how tired we mm. are. Science says most adults need seven hours minimum to avoid the health risks that are associated with inadequate sleep. But like one in five get less than six hours of sleep oh my on an gosh. average night. Wow. Wow. One in five. Yeah. I mean, we can all point to times, I'm guessing many of you who are listening are raising your hands right now saying, yeah, that would be me because I have a newborn or because I'm working this shift or because I'm sick or because I have all of these worries in my life. I just can't get to sleep. So we realize it is a thing that we are just trying to draw attention to. It is a hard thing. So what happens to your body? Let's talk about what happens to your body when you don't prioritize sleep. So we've already said your brain can't function properly, Mm -hmm. right? Your brain doesn't work well. We'll talk a little bit about that in just a second with the emotional state. You have a weakened immune system. Oh, definitely. Yes. I've seen that over and over in my life. Absolutely. 
Yeah, you get sick more often and it takes longer to get better too. You know, I used to laugh that the only time that I actually would get rest or would stop moving is when I got sick. And so you'd be like, well, why does it take me getting sick to force me to rest? But then I would get better and I'd go right back to my normal pace, you know, instead of saying, well, maybe I should just take some time to invest in sleep and in rest. And then I wouldn't be getting sick in the first place. One of the things that I think is super interesting, and this is kind of a newer research on sleep, is that they're really believing that it is a key contributing factor to the obesity epidemic in the West. They're finding that too little sleep makes it hard to resist junk food because of some complicated hormonal things. I'm not a doctor that happen when you don't get enough sleep, but basically less than six hours, it bumps up production of a hunger hormone. So you are literally hungrier and then it limits a hormone that helps you to know when you're full. Mm, Right. Right. So that's a bad combination. You're hungry and you can't tell when you've eaten enough. So that is when this bad cycle Mm. they're finding Mm -hmm. that we wake up and we say, I'm hungry. I just need some mashed potatoes or some potato chips or that big piece of chocolate cake that's in the break room. And then we have a blood sugar spike and then we get more tired and we don't sleep. And so it's just this vicious, vicious cycle. So they said one of the biggest things that people could do if you're trying to lose weight, which really has nothing to do with calories, is just sleep. Get enough sleep and your brain might be your friend instead of your enemy in that. And of course, I think most people know it increases your likelihood for stroke because you're not treating your brain well, for diabetes, because they have found that insulin is not working the same if you're not getting enough sleep, heart disease, it contributes to osteoporosis. It's really, really damaging Mm -hmm. to our physical body, to the systems and processes that keep us moving as humans. And then of course, in our minds, right? This is what we were talking about. We live in an emotionally wrung out state when we do not get enough sleep. Yeah. You know, it alters your mood. I mean, I wish we could go around the circle right now. We could all talk about. (laughs) I know. Yes. We would all have time. Yes. Right. It causes irritability and anger and it lessens our ability to cope with stress. And life is stress, right? Yes. So the National Sleep Foundation, actually, they call us the walking tired. Mm, mm -hmm. (laughs) And how many Americans fit under that umbrella? And they say, you know, these are the people. This is why people are angry in traffic jams and why they argue with somebody who has, you know, 11 items in the 10 item checkout because we live on edge and we think that's normal. Wow. That is making so many things make sense right now about where our culture is in terms of, it seems like our inability to even have conversations with each other. I mean, right. That this may not be the only factor, but if it's a big contributing factor, it's makes a lot of sense. It does. If we could all just get a good night's rest and then maybe have some chewy oatmeal and salted <laughs> caramel cookies, like how much different we would be? A hundred percent different. <laughs> well, I think that one of these things, though, that especially when you talk about mood altering is that often women who are sleep deprived are in that early childhood stage. And so they say, I am angry because of my kids. And there's all sorts of things. Certainly your kids can push your buttons. We've talked about postpartum depression and how anger can be a symptom of that. So there's lots of things. We're not trying to say it all just goes back to sleep. But I do think that if we can try to prioritize rest, you may notice that at least you're able to handle those things differently. You know, it's not that your kids are suddenly going to turn into angels because you've gotten it right. out, but maybe you'll be able to handle it when you, you know, walk into the bathroom and find the desitin smeared oh, all over the cabinet. Not that you know from personal experience. Not that that's ever happened. My children are perfect. <laughs> 
here's something else it does to your brain and to your emotions. It slows your thought process. So it's difficult to focus, to pay attention. Um, you're more easily confused. You, it impairs your judgment. Really, people who drive when they are sleepy and when they are fatigued have been found to be equal to people who are driving under the influence of a drug. We can be that way. And in fact, I was thinking when I worked overnights the first time in Phoenix, and this is scary, you guys, I would wake up after my night shift in my garage in my car. I don't remember how I got home. Yikes, that is so scary. Like I knew that I left the TV station. I could kind of remember that. Obviously, there was a part of my brain that was functioning because I was at home in my garage with my garage door shut. I had even put the seat back. But like my brain was so fatigued and so distracted by this constant like sleepiness. I had somehow managed to function and it had erased all the memories of Mm. it. You know, like that is just not safe. I think now about if my children were driving oh like that. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I can't even. And I'm sure, you know, because I was 22, I was like, well, whatever. Right. Yes. It's fine. I'm sure I'm fine. It's good. But really, that is not a good way to be when you're driving. We've all been there driving where you're like putting the window down, slapping yourself. I used to live really far from the city. So I would drive a lot late at night. And, you know, you're like, <laughs> all the tricks that we use. <laughs> Turn the radio up yep, really loud, yep, yep. you know. <laughs> it's horrible. It's horrible. Yeah. It's a horrible feeling. So we don't want to do that. It fuels memory loss. And this is a big one as parents age and we see this, but it makes us forgetful and unfocused. It can even lead their finding to permanent cognitive issues mm. because like the less we sleep, since sleep is when we do memory storage and that sort of thing, if we're not getting it, then it's like our memories are just scattered around in a messy brain and we can't retrieve them when we're trying to. So oh, wow. I know. And so obviously this isn't the only factor in any sort of memory issue as we age. And even seniors have been shown to have a harder time sleeping because our hormones are changing. So as you're aging and your body's changing the way it functions. It is harder to sleep, but they do believe that some of the kind of quote unquote normal memory loss that we associate with aging is just because when you get older, it's harder to sleep. Mm, Yes. So I'll say one more thing about how sleep affects us emotionally. And that is that they're starting to see more and more causations between sleep and actual mental illnesses like depression and anxiety, things that are happening in our brain that are a miswiring, something that's not working well. And they're saying, you know, lots of times it's hard to say for sure. People will come in and say, I'm depressed, so I'm not sleeping. Or are you not sleeping, so you're depressed? Mm, right. They are st- do you have anxiety yeah. because you're not sleeping? Or do you have not sleeping because you have anxiety? We're not exactly sure, but they're finding more and more that it could be even ADHD. This is a really new study, but I just saw it and it really piqued my interest. They said that it's possible that a lot of kids that we are diagnosing with ADHD are actually just not getting good sleep for a a host of reasons. It could even be that they have sleep apnea. You know, it's not just they're not actually in bed long enough. They could have issues with sleep that are deeper than that. But what they're finding is that if we're not getting enough sleep, our brain exhibits like someone with an ADHD brain would. We can't focus. We can't do executive reasoning. We may even be hyperactive because our brain is not sure how to settle down. Mm. So there's all these things that happen actually in our brain with sleep deprivation that just makes us very irrational. We can't put you know events in proper perspective and we can't focus. It's a really big deal. It really is. And some of this stuff that you're sharing today, I had never even heard some of the connections between sleep and how that 
lack of it manifests in our body and in our minds. And it, I think this is su such interesting timing because over on Smartest Person in the Room podcast that is hosted by our other co-host, Laura Tremaine, and that I helped to produce, we are doing a whole series right now on the whole mind-body connection. I've learned so much just, you know, being sort of behind the scenes on that series because there are so many ways that we don't even know the just intrinsic nature of the connection between mind and body, it really can't be overemphasized how important it is. So of course, when a key component, a key foundation of health is being deprived, of course, it's going to manifest in all kinds of ways, mentally and physically. Right. And I, I think it's so good. That's why I've loved the Mind Body Connection series over on Smartest Person in the Room. I think we're better today at knowing that there is a connection there that they aren't separate, even though I just separated them out talking about here are body things and here are mind things. But I'm sure even as you guys listened, you could see the overlap, mm. you know, that if it affects sleep, affects your brain, which affects your brain, which affects your sleep, which affects all these other things. So knowing that these things are connected, I think it should make us even more sensitive to the fact that we really do need to pay attention to this. It isn't something that we can just slough off and say, well, it's good enough. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's maybe end. These are some things that I had looked up. What can you do to feel rested? So if you're listening right now and you're saying, I don't even know what you're talking about as far as rested. Mm. I don't remember the last time that I felt rested. The people who are experts in sleep, they talk about sleep hygiene. Right, yeah. Meaning, yeah, how can you set yourself up? So these are kind of generic you probably have heard them before, but let's talk about it. And here's the thing that well, we said before, sleep is boring, but it's not an easy fix, right? So we just want to say that right up front, yeah. right? This takes discipline. It's not that easy thing. It is. It does take discipline, but we're hoping that we're building a case that makes you go, it's worth it. It's worth it for both me and for the people around me. So here are five things that I have gleaned on the internet. Okay. Tips for sleep hygiene. One, and this one pains me, is don't sleep in. <laughs> See, I'm a morning person. I'm an early bird. I like to get up early. So I'm like, good. Yes, I got that one conquered. <laughs> this is one area that we're very it, different. so different. I love to sleep in. Love it. And still do it. But the point is, the reason that researchers and doctors would say that this is an important thing is they say that really a healthy sleep pattern is as much about sticking to a regular wake time as it really is about sleep time. That it's better to try to find the wake time that you need or that works for you and then go backwards. Instead of saying, I'm going to go to sleep at this time, say, what time do I have to get up? And the reason they're saying is that you should always be getting up at the same time is that it really does help your circadian rhythms, especially if you can get up and there be light almost right away. Where I am here in the north, October, already, it is super dark mm -hmm. in the mornings. So it is very hard to stimulate those you know, body rhythms with light, but turn the lights on, go out where you can. If you need to, you can even invest in one of those sleep lights that people who have seasonal yes. affective disorder. I was just going to ask if you've ever tried one of those. I've never tried one of those. I might this year, just out of curiosity yes. to see how it would affect yeah. me. Certainly just exercise and eating healthy and sleep have all helped with like sad that I would have had before. Mm -hmm. But having that light is going to help your circadian rhythms set. They said, you know, really it's Social jet lag, what we have, if we're doing that whole thing on the weekends where we stay up later and then sleep in. And my goodness, you guys, I've lived like this for most of my life. 
It's just, I love that feeling of being able to go to bed whenever I want, which is late because I'm more of a night owl, and then having no wake time. Now, of course, kids change that to some degree. But I'm also at a point in my life where my kids can kind of take care of themselves for a little while in the morning. Mm -hmm. So I do have the ability to sleep in again if I want to. I have learned, though, the truth of this advice. If you're getting enough sleep during the week, though, guess what? You don't have to sleep in because your body wakes up and you feel rested. You know, even if you sleep in a little bit, I do sleep in maybe half an hour more than I would get up with my alarm. But I wake up and I'm like, nope, I'm awake. Yes. Not always happy that I'm awake. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the difference of a morning person uh-huh. versus I'm like, I'm never really happy to get up, but I'm awake and I feel rested. And so it's an okay thing to get up and get going with my day. Here's a pro tip. If your kids or if you, if you don't have children and or if your children are past the waking up at the crack of dawn phase, get a puppy. <laughs> Our puppy never sleeps in ever, ever, ever. <laughs> so yeah. My daughter is trying really yes. hard, really hard right now to get a puppy. Uh-huh. We have a dog and a cat, you guys. So we have animals, but she didn't get to have a puppy. We adopted our dog when she was one. And she keeps being like, mom, it's all I want. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I have Meg as a friend. I, I'm listening to her stories. No. Like, <laughs> I, I really, wanted, she's like, you're heartless. I want to sleep in an, like, an extra I'm half heartless. hour. So no puppy. I want to sleep <laughs> an extra half an hour. I don't want to deal with it. Okay, so that's the first one is don't sleep in. Try to establish a healthy sleeping pattern so that you're getting enough rest during the week and then just continue it on the weekends. Check electronics at the bedroom door. This is a big one, you guys. We've heard it over and over. I am a huge believer and even evangelist for the idea of having no electronics in your bedroom at all. Charge your electronic devices somewhere else. In the kitchen, you know, if you have kids, it's even a nice thing to be able to like, this is where they all go to sleep. This is the bedroom for the iPhones so that they're not even a temptation. And I'll have friends go, well, it's my alarm. Get an alarm clock. I listen to music. You can get a radio. I bought my daughter an old (laughs) iPhone. Yes, an iPod. See, it's so old. It's like typewriter. What was that thing called? An iPod. I bought Natalie an iPod because she wanted music in her room and we don't allow her to have her phone in her room. So I was like, here you go. You can listen to music. Yay. And you can play Tetris on a black and white screen. (laughs) But there are ways if you really want to do it. You know, it's just excuses. We're more like, well, uh, I I have to have it in um, there. No, you don't. I'm going to pull the awesomes aside for a minute (laughs) to tell you my excuse because I know you guys are all thinking of your excuses. My excuse is we don't have a landline and I have parents in poor health. And so I'm like terrified to not have a phone by me. So I do make total use of the do not disturb feature on my iPhone, which has genuinely made a big difference. I do feel like I have the self-control to be like, nope, I'm done. I put it away. But I do have it there for emergencies. I know we could get a landline, Kelly. I know. But we're like five years past that. You could get a landline. We have a landline (laughs) that we hardly ever use. I know. I know. And I understand. I understand what people are saying. I'm just saying there is. is an option. Yes to have it out of there. If it's really hard for you, even the buzzing they have found, like you're like, well, I don't wake up. Well, you guess what? Your body is coming out of a sleep cycle. The light even of looking at your phone. And, and that's a whole thing that could, we could almost do a show on. If you guys were going to put some resources in the show notes, but just what the light of a screen in your face does to you. So not only checking electronics at the door, or if you can't, for sure, do this. No screens that are okay, like to close know. to your face an hour before bed. 
60 minutes is ideal. Two hours for people who have actual sleep problems, have trouble falling asleep. Two hours better. is more. Yeah. Is, I'm Good. sorry. It's more, I was going to say it's more better. It's more better. <laughs> so try to get those screens away from your face. Number three, nap strategically. I'm a napper. So I am like very pro point three. But if you're going to nap, and I know some people just can't. I have people in my family who are like, I just wake up so groggy no matter what. That's me. I cannot nap. But I want to hear about napping strategically. Maybe I've never tried the strategic kind of napping. I can't do regular napping. (laughs) I have heard that from enough people that I want to believe it. Part of me thinks, is it just because we're so tired that then every time we even try to nap, our body enters such a deep sleep? You know? So I don't know. And I'm not a doctor, so I can't say for sure. But what I've read is the best kind of sleep is between about two and three in the afternoon when our bodies are naturally kind of coming into that post-lunch slump. If you're able Mm -hmm. to take a 30-minute or less nap, it's kind of that power nap. So they do say, everybody says that any longer than that, you are entering into a deeper sleep cycle. It might be, and it usually is, harder to wake up. You have to you know, fight through some Mm -hmm. of that grogginess when you first wake up. So for many people, it makes it not worth it. So that's why sleep researchers would say that 20 minute to 30 minute power nap is going to be the best thing. And around that time, any later, and it starts to compete with bedtime potentially, you know, makes you not tired when you should be. So if you can nap around that time, absolutely, we here at Sort of Awesome give you permission and nay, encourage it. Yes. Nap strategically. Number four is move. Do something during the day. We were not meant to be sedentary creatures. Even I tell my kids this, like they're like, I have moved all these blocks in Minecraft all day. You know, I have been chasing people all over the internet. And I'm like, that's not movement. You have to move your body. We sleep better. We sleep deeper. We sleep longer when we are exercising. And by exercise, I mean move. Mm -hmm. So it could just be cleaning your house. It could be a walk around the block. It doesn't have to be marathon training. We're just saying that we are meant to move. And you know what? I have really felt this. And I see this in my kids in the winter here in Minnesota, when it's harder to get outside, it's harder to get my kids to move. It's really easy to have people come home and pass out the screens and everybody does that. And then guess what happens? It's bedtime. And especially my younger ones, all of a sudden are like running, literally bouncing off the walls because they can't go to sleep because <laughs> they still have this stored up energy. Even if there was a part of them that was like, yes, I would love to just watch Nick Jr. for the next two hours. They've got to move. So I've started to put in some really intentional, even if it's just silly things like we're going to run around the house outside five laps. Or I think I have a friend, we have a mutual friend actually, who for a while was doing like a game with her kids. Like, let's see who can do 10 up and down the stairs. And, you know, if you have little kids finding some inventive ways to keep them moving, go noodle. You can get that. It's great for that elementary age and even preschool age set to get them moving. So that's all true for our kids. It's true for us. We've got to move and that will help us to sleep better. And then the last thing to do is just to establish even a bedtime routine. And this is true for our bodies and also really for our minds. They said, if you're going to sleep an hour before you go to sleep, start thinking about going to sleep. This goes back to that whole thing that if you're a parent They always say when you have babies, like have a routine, you know, you're going to take a bath. They probably don't even need a bath if it's winter, but give them a bath anyway, because it signals to your body, hey, we're going into sleep mode. Put on the pajamas, read a book, all these things. These are all great signals, both to our mind and to our body, that connection that says it is time to sleep and shut down. What if you're doing all that? You're kind of like, yeah, I'm doing most of that. I'm still having trouble. Okay. 
I read a blog post recently, so good, from one of my favorite bloggers. Her name is Lisa. She blogs at 100 Days of Real Food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm guessing that many of our awesomes are familiar with her site. She was saying that just because of a variety of things in her life, you know, age, busyness, some family stress, all of a sudden, she started to have real trouble sleeping. And Mm -hmm. so she shared on her blog, so some of these tips I've gleaned from her, how to really get specific with sleep training. If you need to reset your body and really you're doing some of the big things, what are some other, maybe smaller things, but things that can really make a difference? She lists white noise. You know, Mm, do what you need to do to shut out some of those little noises that might be distractions really can help a lot just to help your brain shut itself down. Two, no interruptions, meaning that if you can, or if you have a partner, like you're saying, I'm going to try to make bedtime a a priority. I'm going to go to bed at this time. And then they come in afterwards. I am raising my hand here because I'm really guilty about this with my husband. He'll go to bed and then I come in and brush my teeth and turn the light on because I want to read a book and put my pajamas on. So I'm interrupting his sleep at that point. So if you can get somebody else on board and be like, once I go to bed, I need it to be bedtime, the white noise, the darkness, all those things. Number three, make sure your bedroom is cool. Mm, And she said this one was kind of hard for her because she likes the house to be warmer. She's just a person who doesn't want that chill. But if you have a thermostat that you can set between 65 and 68 is perfect for the human body to sleep. So, yeah, Yeah. I mean, I like it that way, too. I think that's why, at least here in the upper Midwest, I think in many places of the world, you'll talk about good sleeping weather. It's like Mm -hmm. when it's good, you know, nice and cool. You can open your windows, that sort of thing. But that's what you want for your body to really be able to enter into sleep. Um, four, this one is a little revolutionary, but to cover all sources of light in your room. So she was oh, wow. saying, her doctor said, if you're having trouble, look at everything. Look, turn your clock away from you or even upside down or cover it with tape. Like ideal, if you're getting enough sleep, you shouldn't even need a clock. Like your body will wake you up is, is the thought. Um, even the uh, smoke detector lights, for sure having your phone there, you know, if it's going to be on and off all night with little alerts, even if it's not buzzing. All light, if you can shut it off and put it away, is going to help your body sleep. And I will say, this is one thing. I have a very dim sort of clock, but it does glow. Mm -hmm. And just recently, I started to point it away from me, or at least not point toward me where you can just open your eyes and see it. And it has made a difference. Interesting. Such a small amount of light, but you could always consider that. Um, Number five, kind of harkens back to what we said. Get outside, move, but especially on sunny days. Get outside and sit in that natural light without sunglasses, without a hat. They are finding that there is something about sunlight that helps our brains to reset those circadian rhythms if they're off. Like it needs to see that light during the day and then not see it at night, which is why we're trying to make our bedrooms dark. But get outside, especially on those sunny days, that could help your brain to reset. Um, Mm -hmm. Six is big for me. Meditate or do some deep breathing. Um, learning to sit with your brain and let those thoughts go and just be, be still and quiet is a great exercise and learning how to shut down all those busy thoughts that can consume us at bedtime. Seven, write down your thoughts in the hour before bed. They'll, oh, that's good. They'll be, I've been doing that. Yeah, they'll be there in the morning. Good job. So you, you share with us the idea, I think for them, tell me if it works this way in your life, is If you have that thing that comes through and you're like, oh, I forgot to do that. I should do this. Mm -hmm. I should maybe look into that. Just write it down because then you can let it go. You can be like, there it is. It's going to be right there when I wake up. Is that what's happening to you? 
Yes, I've started that with my planner, which also has my bullet journal in it. I started this over the summer. Um, so I kind of like take just a few minutes just to look at, and I, for me, myself, this is just like a me therapy thing, <laughs> is concentrating on what I got done during the day. Yes. I have this very bad habit of only focusing on what I didn't get done, mm. blah, blah. So focusing on what I did get done during the day, looking ahead to the next day. And then I mentioned this on an earlier episode of Sort of Awesome. I learned from the book Essentialism to do a little journaling and write less than you think you should. So I've been trying to jot down just two or three sentences about the day, just to process it out and then put it away. And it really does help to get, it's just like, I just need to um, off offload that whatever has been on my mind from the day and then I can release it once it's written down. It works really well for me. Yeah, I'm the same way. Once I write it down, I feel like, well, there it is. It's like outside of my brain now. And so my brain doesn't have to work to keep it or to keep obsessing about it, whatever it is. There it is over there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing on my list is to end your day with gratitude. So mm -hmm. this could go toward writing things down. It could just be a mental checklist. But I have really found, just like you were just saying, so often I think it's easy to go to bed, even if you're a planner, thinking this is what I need to do tomorrow. Oh, I don't want to do that. Or I'm so dreading this. Or today that horrible thing happened. Or I didn't react to that situation well. That sort of thinking does not help your brain to enter into a restful state. Instead, ending your day right before you're going to bed with, Here's what went right. Here's what I'm grateful for. Here's where I have seen grace today is going to help your brain to quiet itself in a peaceful way instead of a regretful way. Yeah, I love that. Definitely. And you can do that really quickly too and, and just write less than you think you need to, but still approaching it with gratitude really makes a difference. Right. Here's three tips that I have, um, because I am not a person, I've never been a person that has a hard time falling asleep. I can fall asleep at the drop of a hat. So the, some of the sleep tips, um, like not having light in your room and those types of things don't affect me as much. But here are a couple of things I've learned. When you're in sleep depriva deprivation survival mode, put yourself to bed early. Mm. This goes back to my own childhood when I was having some kind of emotional meltdown. My mother would put me to bed, rub my back and be like, it will all be better in the morning. <laughs> and I will do that, especially when I have babies, when the sleep is just so hard to come by. I will literally put myself to bed at like seven o'clock. When I had newborns and I was nursing them, I would go to bed at seven. Kyle would bring a baby in at around 10 for one last um, nursing session before the baby went to bed for the night. And I would just wake up enough to nurse and go back to sleep. But I am a huge believer in the early bedtime, if you are in sort of sleep crisis mode to get kind of back on track. Um, another one that I have to say, you guys, back to my crunchy roots, magnesium. We are chronically deprived of magnesium in our country because magnesium is something, that, a nutrient that comes into our food from the soil that it's grown in. And our soil has been vastly depleted mm. of magnesium levels. Magnesium is a fantastic way to fight back against insomnia. It decreases cortisol in your system. It does a lot of other great things that I won't go into all of the research on, but um, I keep this on hand, not because I need um, help to fall asleep. Also, I have my melatonin friend to yeah. help me if I need a little help. But if I wake up in the middle of the night for any reason, the dog is barking, a kid wakes up with a bad dream, I cannot go back to sleep if it's the middle of the night, like two, three o'clock on. And so 
I keep a bottle of Natural Calm Magnesium uh, Powder. I'll mix that up into some water and drink it. And it really helps me <sighs> just calm down and go back to sleep. You can also get magnesium in the form of a spray that you spray on yourself. It's totally safe for kids too. Or even an Epsom salt bath before bed can bring um, your magnesium levels up and help you get sleepy for bedtime. And then the last one, I know we're not supposed to have light before bed, but I have to tell you guys, I maybe it's just me, but having a warm reading light, because mm. I like to read fiction before I go to yeah, bed. Yeah, me too. That reading light that I told you guys about, the lamp, the um, clip-on, clip-on yep. reading light, and it has specifically warm bulbs in it to um, promote um, a sleepy feeling before bed. It totally works. When I read with that um, warm reading light, I get sleepy so quickly. Again, I, I can get sleepy quickly, especially at the end of the day, because I am a morning person. But that warm reading light has been a miracle worker for me in terms of just being able to tune out all of the racing thoughts in my mind, focus on my book for a little bit, and then drift off to sleep, which I think is just the most lovely feeling when you read. And then all of a sudden, you're like, okay, I'm going to go to bed now. Yes, it is the best feeling. And to be able to go to bed when you're tired, is just, it's a yes. welcome thing. I really think the light thing is more about the blue light. So that's probably the difference between mm, the warm light mm -hmm. and the blue light mm -hmm. that our screens emit. Um, so I do, I read before bed too. I also, I was laughing cause I thought, I, I think that you have to have a blanket to sleep. <laughs> At <laughs> least too. I do. I've learned this about myself is that, and I mean, this gets into a whole lot of other things too, but a, almost a really heavy blanket, even in the summer, I, I, I need that weight on me to be able to sleep. If I don't have weight, I've done some pretty crazy things. <laughs> like if you're in a, you know, somebody's guest room or something and their, their sheets are really light or they don't, I'm like, I will pile like books on top of me, like anything that I can find to like make it feel like I'm not just floating through the ether while I'm trying to sleep. Yes. So that's one thing. I don't know. Do you have anything that's crazy like that? Well, I was going to say, we all know proper sleep means no socks. Well, yes, of course. Although I <laughs> will occasionally go to bed with socks on, but then I have to kick them off in the middle of the night. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I'm like, no. I can't, my feet can't breathe. I'm warm now. My, exactly. My feet can't breathe. I know there are people that are like, you absolutely have to put your socks on. Um, never forget the importance of all cotton pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> I'd forgotten that. That's so funny. Oh my gosh. Cotton pajamas are God's gift to us on this earth. I believe it. So, oh my goodness. We have talked about sleep so much. We hope more than anything that this is helping you to just take stock of your own life. Again, we're talking all ages, all stages of life. This is an issue in our culture. So we hope that you're really reflecting on if this could be the source of some of the, maybe the upset that you're having in your life right now. So we know that you might want to share more with, of your thoughts on sleep with us. Kelly, remind us where we can find you all around the web. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly at Lovewell. And on Facebook, you can find me at facebook.com slash Lovewell blog. Okay. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sorta Awesome Meg. Don't forget that this show is on Twitter over at Sorta Awesome Pod. You can always find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created by me, Megan Teets, and is produced each week in collaboration with Kelly Gordon, Rebecca Hoffer, and Laura Tremaine. Visit us on the web at sortaawesomeshow.com, where you can sign up for the show's newsletter, connect with the Sorta Awesome community, 
and find show notes for each episode of Sorta Awesome. Music is provided by the band Prager. Find out more at progermusic.com. We'll meet you back here next time as we discover, explore, and discuss all the things that make life sorta amazingly awesome. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.